Welcome to the Elevate Life Podcast channel, a channel focused on helping you establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower you to reach your full God-given potential. For more information about our church, visit elevate.life. Enjoy this episode. Good morning, Elevate Life. It's great to see you. It's great to see everyone that's watching online. Can we give our online audience a big hand? Love you guys. And uh, I want to invite you to stand up on your feet. One of the things we like to do uh, in this service, you don't have to, I can't make you do anything. Uh, <laughs> just reminder, uh, I don't possess your body. So I want to invite you to stand up on your feet, not command you to do so. Uh, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> it's just like to make things weird. So <laughs> we like to start this part in the service by saying some things about us that God says about us. So put your hand on your heart. Uh, I'm not going to talk about why we do or don't do that. It's a point of contact thing, and I'm just going down my weird stuff again. So (laughs) words are on the screen. Let's say this together. I declare that I'm created in the image of God. I am blessed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion. I declare that 2022 is my year of promise for me, my family, my finances, and my future. I declare, according to 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. Yes and amen. Today I open up my mind to receive the promises of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up. Say, come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And... uh, Some of you are like, man, uh, this pastor is not very pastoral, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, And I'm trying not to be weird and awkward, but, uh, you know, I just kind of am. So trying not to be used, kind of impossible. That's not what I'm here to talk about today. So yet again, here we go. Uh, We're in a series where we're talking about biblical worldview. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's one of the things, it's my favorite thing to talk about. It's the, people get really excited when you talk about worldview. It always fires people up. Like I've seen people in sales meetings, like we're gonna make some sales today because we got a great worldview, right? Never happens because nobody's really that excited about talking about worldview. It's important. Last week we talked about how really one of the most important things that we have in our whole life is our worldview. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about uh, in this series and as we go. And today's the first component of that. If you'd like to uh, kind of get the introduction to where we're at, you can watch last week's message online or whatever. And uh, uh, I, feel like, I feel like it's all right. Um, you know, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good setup. But before we just jump in, <laughs> I talked last weekend. So that's why I'm saying that. Whatever. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing the silent thing to clap. I'm doing the silent thing because I'm being weird again. So... It's going to recalibrate. Uh, before we just jump in on uh, what we're going to talk about today, one of the things that uh, is the worst thing that ever happened to me recently uh, is some of my best friends left our church and they moved away. And uh, it's so sad. But they're really happy because they went to Connecticut and they started a church called Elevate Life Connecticut. <laughs> so 
Pastor Jeremy and Carissa uh, are some of the best friends that we've ever had in our life. The only reason why I'm sad is because I don't get to hang out with him every day because he lives in Connecticut now. And, uh, but the great thing is I can go see him whenever, uh, whenever I can. And one of the things that they did last weekend was their launch of Elevate Life Connecticut. It was their first Sunday as Elevate Life Connecticut. And uh, they, they sent us a little video for us to watch. So I want to I uh, show this to you and celebrate together with them. Check this out. Frisco, hey, Jeremy and Chrissy here call, talking to you, calling you all the way from the Northeast Connecticut. Guess what? August the 7th was our vision day. We officially launched Elevate Life Connecticut. Official launch day on the 7th. We've got our official launch to our community on September the 18th, but we wanted to stop and send you this video to say thank you. Thank you to our senior pastors, our spiritual mom and father, Pastor Keith and Pastor Sheila, and my brother, Pastor Josh. Yes. Thank you for sending us to the Northeast. God's moving. People's lives are being changed. Man, I'm telling you, we're experiencing at a level of revival. There's an awakening happening in people's hearts. People are hearing the good news of Jesus, and life is changing. The month of July, most churches receive a decline. Our church has received an incline. Yes. We have literally doubled our attendance in the month of July. And I want to say thank you for sending us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for praying with us on September the 18th. Would you keep us in your mind? Would you keep us in your prayers? On September the 18th, we're launching to the entire state, Elevate Life Connecticut. Yes, it's going to be a great day. We're really excited about that. Thank you for praying and believing with us. Things are growing here. Things are going great. The temperatures are a little cooler than they are down there, so we're excited about that and happy to be back. But we're missing all of you, and we just know that God is doing amazing things down at Elevate in Frisco, just like he's doing up here in Connecticut. Can't wait to see you guys here in a couple weeks at Warrior Conference. It's going to be awesome. How cool is that? You know, we're going to take ground for the kingdom in Jesus' name. We're going to reach the world. A lot of people are leaving the Northeast. We're just going to go up there and go ahead and take everything over and uh, make the world a better place. How about it? That's what I feel like doing. And uh, so, I'm so I'm so happy and excited for them. And uh, we, are, we are as a church, and so we're going to continue to, to kind of tell you about what's going on. They're always going to be connected here. They're always going to be with us, doing life with us. Uh, Pastor Keith's headed up there for their, for their launch Sunday here in a few weeks. And um, it could, I, I couldn't, you know, I wanted to share that with you because we're a family, and it couldn't be more exciting about what God's doing in our church right now. And uh, it's such a privilege to get to be here. It's a privilege to get to be a part of this. And uh, honestly, not that you paid for admission, although you should because it's that good. Uh, worship was all you needed to have this morning, honestly. Our worship team. Um, yeah, I, I think we're in church today. It's gonna be a good day. And I love, I love getting to do this. I love getting to be here. I just love getting to be in a church like this because I tell Pastor Keith all the time, if I wasn't here, I wouldn't be in church. I can't stand some of this, some of this stuff. That's not what I'm talking about, but for real, I'm just grateful and glad to get to be here and to get to be with you guys today. And... Um, so, like I said, we're talking about worldview, and worldview a lot of times seems, seems highly academic. 
because boring people talk about worldview. I can't help that they're boring, but boring people often talk about worldview. Boring people often talk about philosophical things, but philosophy and worldview are important because they shape our whole life. So we're talking about four key things that kind of define our worldview, and these are things that we should deeply consider. And uh, those, those four things that we're talking about are epistemology, metaphysics, axiology, and anthropology. Now, I'm not saying those words because I'm like, hey, look how smart I am. I have a film degree, all right? So I'm not like Mr. Philosopher guy up here to like drop my PhD on you. I'm, I'm a person very much who's, who's shaping my worldview just like you're shaping your worldview. So what is epistemology? That's what we're going to talk about today. Epistemology is the nature and sources of knowledge. Um, metaphysics is about good and bad and how the world is created. Axiology is, or metaphysics is about the, the kind of state of the world, the, the nature of things. Uh, axiology is about the nature of good and bad. What do we believe about good and bad? And then anthropology is about humanity. What do we believe about ourselves? So today, next week, we're talking about metaphysics. Today, we're talking about epistemology. And so the first question uh, is why does epistemology matter? This is not a word that you hear. This is not a word that you're going to say. Uh, you're not going to go into your staff meeting tomorrow and say, hey guys, you know, we're really going to spend some time with you talking about epistemology. If you do do that, uh, probably won't be the, the favorite staff meeting that they have. But epistemology is something that we all have. All of us have an epistemology. All of us have an approach to knowledge. All of us have an idea about how we gain knowledge, how we acquire knowledge. So why does epistemology matter? The reason why epistemology matters is because without epistemology, you could not believe that your own thoughts and actions were valid. You couldn't believe in those things. Without epistemology, there's no difference between what is true and what is false, what is good and what is bad. Uh, our, our, our definitions of good and bad or true and false are rooted in things that we know. Without an approach to what you know, there's no way to know if what you're doing is good or bad. Epistemology allows us to accept reality and trust our own perception and experiences. Epistemology, finally, and this is probably the most important reason why your epistemology matters, i.e. your approach to knowledge, is it's what allows you to realize that you exist and it's the ability that you have to consider your existence. So the fact that you realize that you're alive and you're on this planet at this time, you were born on this day and you happen to be living in the year 2022 is all rooted in your knowledge or your approach to knowledge. So let me paint you a picture, a question for you. You don't have to answer it. This is a rhetorical question. You can't hold this box. You can't look inside the box, but you gotta answer this question for yourself. What's in the box? What's in the box? It's from a movie. <laughs> so how can you find out what is in this box without touching it or looking, in, looking into it. You might say that's impossible, but let's think about it. So let's start with what we, what, we, what we can say is not in the box. There's a whole lot of things that we can say are not in this box. So what we can say is not in the box is we can say the whole earth is probably not inside this box, right? Me and you, we're physically not inside this box. Uh, the car you drove in is uh, good news to you, I guess, or bad news if you don't like your car. It's not in this box. The list of things that can't be in this box is pretty long. And if I asked you to put a list together of all the things that probably aren't in this box, that list would be uh, take you a while to compile because you'd have to think about all the things that don't fit into this box. And even if you can't say what is in the box, 
you could reasonably say a lot of things that aren't in the box. Why is that? Because you have epistemology. You have epistemology that informs your perception of the size of this box and the size of things that cannot fit into this box. So some of you, you're like a measure twice, cut once person. You can see how big something is by looking at it. Some of you are a measure once, cut twice, cut, cut twice person. I'm neither of those. I'm bad at all of it, right? So some of us have a level of spatial awareness that you can see this box is such and such a size and only certain things that are probably this size can fit within this box. That is all, the reason why you think that and realize that is related to your approach to knowledge. Because there's things that you know for sure, right? There's things that you know for sure that can't go in this box. Now you can't know for sure what's in this box. So what can we not be sure about regarding the box? You can't, you don't know how heavy this box is. Um, you can't be sure how heavy the thing in the box is. You can't be sure how big the thing in the box is because it could be really big. It could take up the whole size of the box. It could be smaller than the box. It could be a Mary Poppins box where I pull the lamp out of the box. <laughs> if there is an object in it, you're relying on me and your trust in me that there's something in this box. Because you might not know me, you might not have ever been to this church before, and what would make me trustworthy to you? The fact that I'm standing on a stage with a microphone? So you can't necessarily trust that there's even anything in the box, but you can know what's not in the box. And some of you, you're not even listening to me anymore because all you're doing is thinking about this box. <laughs> so could there be something as well that's revealed to you that you didn't know before about the box. It might be something that's obvious that brings a new revelation of what could be in the box. So something can be revealed that informs your ability to understand what's in the box, something that you knew before but didn't realize was connected to this. Like a hint that somehow what's in the box is connected to this series. And if you have been around the church for a few weeks, or maybe you walked into church this morning, maybe you watched that bumper, what's kind of the theme of this series? Video games. Some of you didn't, had no idea what all this digital stuff was because um, you're a time traveler from 1943. But maybe the context of where we're in can inform what's in the box, but that has to be revealed to you. Or maybe you're a person that's like, bro, I've seen the box stuff before. And when people do box things, I know how they do box things, because what people always do when they do box things is they just put more boxes inside the box. So yeah, see, I knew it. That's what you're saying. I knew that. And the reason why you knew that is because you've seen it before, right? It's not a surprise, if some of you are like, oh, I've never seen a person put a box inside a box, how could that be? But for some of you, you've like had Christmas presents where it's like 37 boxes. And, uh, and so, yeah, it sucks. Someone said it sucks. We don't say that in church. That's okay. I've said a lot worse on the platform. So, <laughs> so it's not fun to get boxes inside of boxes. But so if you thought that based on your previous knowledge, and that's how epistemology works, you have previous life experience that informs the knowledge that you have about things today, 
right? So here's what people do. They say, well, my last relationship was like this and I couldn't trust that person because they cheated on me. Therefore, everyone who I'm gonna be with is probably gonna cheat on me so I can't trust anybody. That's epistemology. The nature and the source of knowledge. What is the source of your knowledge about people, about relationships, about whatever? It's so important for us to consider that. So some of you have seen this this idea of like what's in the box and all of that, but then I also told you that it could probably have something to do with the theme of our series. So maybe what's inside the box is a video game. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all-time great arcade classic. That's what's inside the box. So you could define what's not in the box, you could define what is the box, but here's, here's the thing, what is in the box, I'm going to turn this off because I get easily distracted. I play video games. It's what video game people do. They get easily distracted. Um, so epistemology is not something that we often think about, but all of us have it all the time. Because you're looking at this box and you're saying, how many boxes are in the box? I don't know. Maybe I can guess. Or what's in all of that? That's how epistemology works. Um, pretty much for, I mean, almost since the dawn of human history, uh, philosophers have discussed the nature of knowledge or epistemology. This is Plato. And uh, what Plato, Plato is really one of the first guys to talk about. Uh, he, he asked this question and I'm paraphrasing it, but the question that Plato asked was he said, what is the world and how do we relate to it? Now that's something that um, maybe sounds like there's an easy, quest, easy answer to that question, but what is the world? Is the world the physical earth? Is the world something else? And then how do we relate to the world that exists? One of the things that Plato said was that there's what's called, a, there's an unseen world called the world of forms. And the world of forms to Plato was a world that was like full of universal knowledge that we know, but no one taught us this. So there's not a, as, as far as we know, there's not a person who invented a chair. When you would think, if you're a, a as long as we have known uh, life as humans, people have sat on things. And when we develop the capability to, to, to build our own seats, we somehow all landed on, regardless of what culture, you could be in China, you could be in Russia, you could be in France, you could be in Africa. Regardless of where you are in the world, somehow people have landed on a four-legged chair or a stool as the object that we sit on. If you did not design a four-legged chair or a three-legged stool, what would a seat look like that you sat on? That's a hard question to answer. It's like, well, I don't know, six legs? I like, why have we all... That's the question that Plato asked. Why have we all kind of landed on a chair having four legs? Well, I don't know. We just all kind of felt that way as humans. No one really taught. As far as we know, there's not like the inventor of the chair that said, now I'm gonna change the world with a chair. As long as we, as long as we um, have known life as humans, we've had things that we've set things on. And those things ultimately became tables. This table right here, if you were gonna, if you'd never seen a table before, this is the kind of thing that Plato said. If you'd never seen a table before, you would still design a table because a table is in the world of forms. It is something that all of us inherently know, and it's a way that we relate to the world. And then we get to, um, we fast forward, we get to a guy, Descartes. And what Descartes said was the only thing that he could know for sure, the only thing that he could be 100% certain about was his own existence. Um, one of the sayings that he said that's relatively famous is cogito ergo sum. And what that means is, I think, 
therefore I am. The reason why I can know that uh, I exist is because I have the capacity for thought. How do you know you're alive? How do you know you're existing? What he said is the way, that, the way that you know you're existing is because you can think a thought in your head. And the only thing you can know for sure, according to Descartes, is that you're alive. You can't know really anything else. What you can know is that you're alive. And then we get to uh, Immanuel Kant. And Immanuel Kant was a German philosopher. Uh, his approach to epistemology is very interesting, and I'll paraphrase it. What he basically said was, when we see the world, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. So there's not really ever, according to Kant, there's not really ever a full 100% objective take on any situation because all of our previous knowledge and experience, all of the things that have been handed down to us, those are the things that inform the way that we see the world. And many of us have experienced this because we're married. <laughs> we can see the same exact situation, be in the same exact place, doing the same exact thing, and for some reason, I'm having a great time and you're having a horrible time. Some of us, we go to work, and uh, maybe you're a boss. This is often what a phenomenon that bosses experience. Maybe you're a boss and you think, man, everything's just going so great at this company. It's just so wonderful. And then people come in and they talk to you. They say, man, our culture is horrible. Everything is bad. Everything's falling apart. Everybody wants to leave. This is a horrible place to work. And until you had that conversation, your perspective was, this is amazing. So we don't see things as those things are, we see things as we are. We interpret things a certain way based on who we are. So for instance, I really believed when I got married that everything that I liked, my wife liked. Some of you were laughing um, because you're smarter than me. <laughs> like, or you've had a person who felt that way that was surprised that you did not enjoy what they enjoy or vice versa. So one of the things that I love is I, I really like learning. I love learning about things. I do deep dives on all kinds of stuff. I love history. Um, it's just what's fun to me. I'm a weirdo. I've made things awkward already in this service. I don't think I have to talk about that anymore. So one of my favorite eras of history is like kind of the World War II era. I love learning about how the, th the things that led up to World War II. I love learning about how World War II happened and all of like the details behind it. It's just one of the most amazing, fascinating times in, in history to me. And in New Orleans, there is the National World War II History Museum. It's like one of the coolest places I've ever been in my life. Anytime I have the opportunity to be in New Orleans, it's where I go because everything else in New Orleans is probably not worth going to and a little bit gross. It's all good. If you're from New Orleans or you live there, I'm so sorry that you have to experience that. Um, <laughs> so, me and Courtney had been married for about a month, and I thought, man, we were, we were together for basically two years, like dated two years before we got married. I mean, how long do you gotta be with someone before you know them? I guess forever, right? <laughs> Married for 20 years, I don't even know this person, right? That's how husbands are, by the way. I was talking to someone this week about how guys, for some reason, their wife presents them with a divorce, and they're like, I thought everything was going amazing. Yeah, that's how epistemology works. So, so that hasn't happened to me. I don't believe it will. I feel like I'm getting better. Um, we're in this World War II History Museum, and um, 
So we were on the way to Destin, Florida, and I believe that New Orleans is on the way to Destin. Some people don't because it's like two hours out of the way, but that's an acceptable margin of error for me to be able to go to a museum. <laughs> so me and Courtney are we're in New Orleans to specifically go to the, and I'm thinking, man, she's like all about this. This is so great. I married someone. They love what I love. I've never met a girl that really liked museums, and I still haven't. So... <laughs> So we go to this museum, and if you're with me and we go to a museum, we're not there for an hour, we're not there for two hours, we're not there for four hours, we're gonna be there the whole day. I'm not a guy, like some of you, you, you go to a museum, like you go to an art museum, you're like, oh, culture. That's a painting in a room. I don't need to go in that room. I saw it, it looks nice. Like there's a little diorama. Okay, I saw that, that's cool. All right, let's go. When are we gonna go eat or see a movie or whatever? For me, I'm like, walk up to the thing, I'm gonna read the thing, then I'm gonna Google the thing, read the Wikipedia article on the thing, and then I'm gonna move to the next thing. Like, I'm this guy. <laughs> or this guy. Like, that guy. That's often, like, anyone who has a beard, this is a comfort thing for you. So, <laughs> Courtney's with me. We get to about, we get about halfway into the museum. We're there for four hours at this point. And, uh, yes, she's wonderful. She's amazing. <laughs> she's entertained me to the furthest extent she's willing to go. And uh, so we're in the museum. They're about four hours. We're in the, one of my favorite parts, which is where they'd start talking about D-Day and the, the war theater in Europe. And uh, it's really cool. It's not just like things on a wall. They, the, the World War II History Museum is really theatrical. It's like a lot of lights, dioramas, like crazy stuff. They built like a Quonset hut inside this thing. It's really cool. So I'm thinking, this is amazing. Obviously, I love it. And uh, so I look around. I'm like, where's Courtney? I don't know where she is. I can't find her. I'm like, oh, she must have gotten stuck back somewhere, <laughs> right? Because we're all moving slow through the museum, she's not, uh, she's not ahead of me because we're both really into this. So, <laughs> so I'm looking around, I'm go, I go up to the next place, I go, I, go, you know, I go back into the place that we're at, and she's in the corner of this exhibit, sitting on the floor looking at her phone. I go, hey, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I just had some emails I had to respond to, and you just let me know when you're done. I go, oh, are you not like, are you done looking around? She's like, yeah, I don't really like this. I mean, you could ask Courtney, it was a real moment for me of, oh, you don't like this? <laughs> I can't believe, I cannot believe that you are not enjoying learning about the Normandy invasion. <laughs> this is the most pivotal period in World War II. Without this and Dwight D. Eisenhower and all these guys, we wouldn't be here today. <laughs> you know. So I learned that day that you could be in the same situation as someone else having a fantastic time and that person is living a nightmare. And, uh, <laughs> and so that's how epistemology works. And um, the question that, we, that we're asking throughout this series is what's your approach to these things? And so one of the things that we've done is we've, we've, uh, we, we did a worldview check with everybody and we had quite a few people respond to that. And so I'm gonna talk you through the answers to those questions. Um, but the question for us today is what is our epistemology and is it based on scripture? Because if we follow Jesus, if we claim to follow Jesus, if we call ourselves a Christian, then what we inherently say by saying that is that we live our lives according to scripture. We see the world through God's eyes. We we see the world according to scripture. Our worldview is shaped by scripture. Now, the good news is a lot of people took the survey. The bad news is a lot of us are gonna have to retake the class. The average score on the survey that we took was 52%. 
And uh, today's results are unfortunately not better than that, but I'm gonna give you the answers to the test. So we think in our minds, I can think in my mind, and I talked about this last week, that because I'm a Christian, I have a biblical worldview. So because I believe all these things, then I know all these things. That's not how it works. Your epistemology, your approach to knowledge has to be intentionally considered if you're gonna have this kind of worldview. And so the first question that we asked is what is knowledge? What is knowledge? There's a few answers that we gave. This shows the results of the question that we answered. Uh, Out of 610 answers, 24% were correct. So one out of four of you did a good job. So here's, here's, how, here's, here's what those answers were. Oh, here's, well, as you can see some of them. So is knowledge something I've born with? Is it something I experience? Is it something I learn? Is it something revealed to me by the divine? That's the next question. Is knowledge a personal and social construct so nothing can be truly known? And then the, the, next, question, the next answer is, is knowledge something I'm born with, something I learn, and, and something revealed to me by the divine? And then finally, the primary answer in Elevate Life Church is knowledge is something I gain as I pursue my personal purpose and meaning. Now that might be a satisfactory answer to that question, but that is not the biblical answer to that question. The biblical answer to that question is uh, the question, or is the answer, let me see where it is on here, Um, is the answer right above it that about 24% of us got, and that's knowledge is something I'm born with, knowledge is something I learn, and something revealed to me by the divine. And so you can say, Josh, how do you know that? Well, because I read the Bible, and I apply it to my life. And I'm not saying that you don't read the Bible, I'm just saying, we, and, our, and our intention in doing this survey was not to trick anybody, but the, question, the, the, the problems that we experience in our life are, I love, I love this Mark Twain quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. It ain't what you know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So there's a lot of things that we think we know for sure. Like I know this for sure. Or there's a lot of things we never consider. Like most of us in our life, we don't answer the question, what is knowledge? It's important that we understand these questions because our answers to these questions will determine the the outcomes of our life. So how can knowledge be something I'm born with? Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter two. Paul says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. This is a reference to Deuteronomy. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience conscience and thoughts uh, either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. What Paul's saying here is that biblically there is proof for base morality. All of us are born with an innate sense of right and wrong. You didn't learn that. No one taught you that as you pursued your personal purpose and meaning. What happened was God created you and he wrote his law on your heart. This is what the Bible says. So there are things that you do that you know are wrong. Nobody has to tell you that they're wrong. You know that they're wrong. And there are things that you do that you know are right. Nobody has to tell you that they're right either. So for instance, one of the things that, you know, I did student ministry in our church for a long time. One of the situations that I frequently encountered with with young people is that they felt like it was okay to have sex before marriage. Right? And that, that was like a thing, right? Or people felt like it was okay to sleep around. In my experience, there's not one person that I've met in my whole life who has, who has done that and not felt guilty about it themselves. 
There's not one person I've met who said, this is the best way to live. Now, most of the time, they're, they're trying to prove that to themselves, and they're trying to overcome the guilt that they feel for doing something that they know is wrong without a person having to tell them that it's wrong. There are things in our life right now that we know that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing, but for some reason, we're trying to convince ourselves that this is the right thing for me to do or that this is a good thing. The Bible says, even if you never read the Bible, even if you never heard of Jesus, even if you had no God context at all, you would have something that you were born with that innately tells you that you know right from wrong and you know good from bad. And then we have things that we learn. It's great, learning's great, learning's important. There's a lot that we learn throughout our life. Proverbs chapter one tells us, let the wise Listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. So knowledge is something that we can learn. And then finally, knowledge is something that's revealed to us by the divine. In Proverbs chapter 2, the Bible says, Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God for the Lord grants wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So there are things that only God can teach us. That's called revelation. There are things that are revealed to us. The way it worked in the context of this box was you might have not been aware of the theme of this series, or you might have been aware of it and not thought it was connected to what was in the box. Well, as soon as I said that, your mind probably shifted into some kind of, okay, it's probably connected to that in some way, some kind of video game thing. That's revelation. So when we get revelation on things, a lot of times that's God revealing something to us that we maybe saw before, but didn't know before. So next question, how do we know what we know? How do we know what we know? So uh, there's three key criteria. So this is from philosophy. Um, there's basically, to summarize it, there's three key criteria that have to be met for something to qualify as knowledge. So the three key criteria that have to be met for something to qualify as knowledge, the first one is belief. So belief is, um, do I believe it to be true? So it's impossible to know something that you don't believe is true. Like, for instance, if you don't believe, I'm not, this isn't the subject of my my talk today, but if you don't believe that racism exists, then you can't know about racism because you don't believe it exists. It's impossible to know something that you don't believe in. It's like, well, I don't know God because I don't believe in him. There's no way for me to know something I don't believe in. So that's the first criteria for knowledge is you have to believe in something. There's a lot of people in the church and in, in Christianity that don't believe in miracles. So they don't, they don't have the knowledge of miracles, not because miracles maybe do or don't happen, but because they don't believe in them. So philosophically, it is impossible to know something that you don't believe in. Now, the second thing is, is also important. The second thing is truth. So are there facts that confirm my beliefs? So if you believe something and that something is factually false, you're, you don't have knowledge. It's impossible to know something that's false because if it's false, it's not real. And if it's not real, it's not knowledge. So a lot of people go through life and they have false beliefs, right? They have false things that happen to them in their life or they have, they have ways that they characterize things that are false. So in order for something to be true, there has to be facts and evidence that point to that thing. The, a lot of people live life and they say, well, God doesn't exist because there's not facts to that. In the book of Romans, the Bible says, since the beginning of time, the attributes of God are clearly seen. The, the um, scientists and biologists say that there is no point where nature becomes less complex. 
So usually with human-made objects, you could break things down to their smallest parts and gain a greater understanding. Anything that's found in nature, it only becomes more complex as we zoom in on it. So the Bible tells us that through nature we can know God. It's not about scripture. It's not even about hearing a, hearing a message that's preached to us. Through nature, we can see the attributes of God. So the evidence of God existing, we can believe that God exists absolutely, and then there's facts that confirm those beliefs. But if I believe something and that thing turns out to be false, then I can't know about it. And finally, there's reason and logic. So are the reasons that I believe something based in evidence? So are the reasons that I believe based in fact? If your beliefs are not based on evidence, they are opinions, they're not knowledge. Your feelings are opinions. They're really strong ones, but they're still opinions. One of the things we say in this church is your feelings are not facts. Your feelings are not truth. Your feelings are not knowledge. Your feelings are subjective opinions based on you. But a lot of us live life and we think that the way that we feel is the truth of the situation. That is a 100% guaranteed failure rate. <laughs> if you live life that way, but all of us live life that way. I am offended, this person meant to offend me. So because I feel offended, that person's intention was to offend me, and now I know that they're an offensive person. That's how opinions work, that we think opinions can transform magically into knowledge, right? So we live life and we think that, well, I know the truth because I know how I feel. Your feelings have nothing to do with truth and your feelings have nothing to do with knowledge. So we've gotta have, we've gotta believe it. It's gotta be factually true. And then our reasons for believing it have to be based in the facts. So how do we respond to this question? How do we know what we know? So my person, we got 44% correct on here. So bringing the average up, way to go. We're gonna have to grade on a curve though still, but that's okay. So the answers are, first answer is, how do we know what we know? My personal experience. How do we know what we know? What I can logically understand. The third answer is seeing something myself, hearing from someone I trust, and using reason and logic. That's literally the criteria I just gave you. Um, evidence and eyewitnesses, deductive reasoning and logic, and there is no way to really know anything. All we know is our own perspective. The number one bad answer that we gave, 20% of us believe that there's no way to really know anything. People that say that don't believe in absolute truth. They believe in subjective truth. Their approach to life is your truth is your truth and that's what's true if it's true for you, right? That's not God's perspective, that's culture's perspective. Culture's perspective is truth is what you want it to be because if you believe it enough, then it can be true. But it's not about belief and it's not about feelings, it's about belief, facts, and logic. So logically, I'll just paint you this one picture and it's, it's not controversial in this room because Christians kind of align on this, but a lot of people can believe that there's not two genders. They wanna believe that for whatever reason. It doesn't matter what the reasons are. That's what they wanna believe. So then what people do is say, they say that there's facts that point to this. Now there's not really, if you do the research, if you actually do the research into history, right? And you look at it, there's not a lot of evidence that supports the facts, the fact that there's more than two genders. In fact, most of human history distinctively tells the difference between man and woman, including our biology. No matter what you do to your body, if you died, right? And in a thousand years, they dug up your body, they would be able to determine if you are biologically male or biologically female. That's facts. 
That's biological fact. Now, we cannot debate that. So I can believe all day. Great. Believe what you want to believe, man. But it's not knowledge until you add facts to it. So facts are facts. Biological facts, especially related to our physical bodies, are biological facts. And then are our reasons for believing it based on the facts. Most people that have their truth, their reasons for believing are not based on their facts, they're based on their feelings. So I feel this way and I feel so strongly about it that it's true. 20% of our church believes this, by the way. I feel so strongly about this that I believe that it's true. That it, well, I, I feel so strongly about this that I know that it's true. The, real, the, the correct answer to this question is one that 44% of us got right, and that's that uh, knowing what we know requires us to see something ourselves, learn from something, hear from someone we trust, and use our own reason and logic. Then the third thing. So is anyone like feeling like worldviews may be important now? Right? This is a little bit, someone said a, little, a second ago, that's scary. It is a little bit scary. Because you could be totally off in your life. You could have a totally messed up perspective on the world. And I'm not just talking about gender right now. I'm talking about everything. You could think that your feelings are truth. Right? Which is what we all do when we get mad at somebody. We live our life and we tell ourselves a story like, that person is my enemy. That person is evil because they hurt me. That's not knowledge. That's opinion. So then the third thing. What is the difference between knowledge and faith? Here's our answers. 19%. Woo! No, you're not laughing because now I've got you in the, like, in the depth of it. So 70% of us uh, answered poorly. First, first answer, knowledge is what I experience directly. Faith is trust in the knowledge of someone else. Second answer, knowledge is what I see. Faith is knowledge about things I can't see. So that's the one 70% of us answered that way. Third thing, knowledge is proof. Faith has no proof. Fourth thing is something else. So here's what we as, and I'm not talking about Christians right now. I'm talking about us, the people that filled out this, this survey. Um, 70 whatever percent of us, or whatever that is, it's not 70, it's like close to 70. Excuse me, I'm not a math guy. I didn't make these, the data people did. So they know the math, I just know my feelings. <laughs> so, so here's what, and, and this, by the way, in my opinion, aligns with Christians. Because here's what Christians believe. Christians believe that faith is knowing with 100% certainty about things you cannot know about. And so that's the reason why Christians are impotent. That's the reason why Christians don't do anything. That's the reason why Christians don't serve. It's the reason why they don't serve. It's the reason why they don't give. It's the reason why Christians are not often Christians in the world that we live in because they won't do something unless it's 100% certainty about it. That's how, that's how humans live. Human beings don't have faith. Faith is not 100% certainty about something you don't know about. It's impossible. You can't be 100% certain about stuff you don't know about. It's literally impossible. So what is faith? Faith is literally trust in the knowledge of someone else. So here's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we can't see. So evidence is different than knowledge. If you have faith in a person, 
you believe and you trust in them, that doesn't mean that you know exactly how they're gonna handle the situation or what they're gonna do. So in our life, here's, what we, here's, here's how we approach God. And faith is not just God, faith is a life concept. Most people do not trust people. Most people uh, will not extend trust to people. And they'll say, I, I'll trust you once you give me a reason to trust you, right? Trust is a gift that we give. Because if, if everything's about reason and knowledge, then there's no such thing as faith. Of course you can trust with a, the only person you can really trust is yourself, right? Because you know 100% of the time what you're gonna do. Faith means I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna put my trust in this person or in this situation or in whatever it is that's gonna, that's gonna take place here. So with God, with our approach to God, this is what we do. God, if you just give me a guarantee, I'll do it, right? So two out of 10 Christians tithe. Now we can debate the tithe all day. There's really no reason to debate it because at the end of the day, it's just a lack of faith that people have. They don't trust God with their money. They just don't. There's not, there's not a lot of ways around it. Biblically, people just don't trust God financially. It's just how it is. And that's the reason why people don't give. It has nothing to do with the trustworthiness of the church. It has nothing to do with Old Testament, New Testament, because if you want to go down the Old Testament, New Testament road, yeah, the Old Testament talks about tithing. The New Testament talks about giving so much that nobody in the church has needs. So what most people are trying to do is trying to find a way around being generous because they don't think that they should have to do that because I can't trust other people with my money. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, where you put your money is a reflection of what's in your heart. And most of us do not trust other people or God with our heart. And I'm not saying that to tough talk. I'm just saying it's the facts, ma'am. Like we have to deal with the reality of how we think about life and how much we think about life that is not aligned with the way God thinks. So we go, God, like you heard this whole thing that Clay and Whitney said, we had this really powerful moment in worship and you're still not gonna trust God with your life because you're like, God, I need you to guarantee me that it's gonna work out. So if you can't guarantee me that it's gonna work out, God, I'm still gonna do it my way. So we live life, and here's, here's how human beings work philosophically. A known bad outcome is preferable to an, to an unknown outcome. Because guess what? We can deal with the crap today. I can deal with it. I've been dealing with it for long enough. I can continue to like manage through all this crap that I got going on in my life and this trauma and this conflict and this dysfunction. But what I can't do is know how I'm going to handle something that's unknown to me. And that's how faith works. Faith is not trust in yourself or trust in your knowledge. Faith is trusting in the knowledge of another person, especially God. And most of us, we will trust God once he proves that we can trust him. God, I will trust you once you do this the way that I want you to do that. God, I'll trust you once you fix this for me. God, I'll give once you bless me. I'll give once I have the money to do that. I'll serve once I have the time to do that. So God, what I need you to do is fix all this stuff and then I'll have faith. And God's like, no, if you have faith, I'll fix all that stuff. So there was a time in my life, uh, still is a lot of these times in my life, but there was a time in my life, um, you know, this is how people work in like the workplace, right? It's like there's conflict, you know, and somebody's like, and two people, they're just like going at it. And it's like the first one to get to the boss gets their case heard first and they're probably gonna be right. 
It's like, well, I gotta get, I gotta get to you first because this person, they're gonna try to manipulate you and all the different kind of stuff. You know what that comes down to is like, you don't trust your boss. <laughs> you don't trust how they're gonna handle the situation. You don't trust that they have your best interest in mind. So the reason why you gotta get your case heard first, the reason why you gotta get your story out first is because you don't trust the person that's hearing your story. Because you think if they heard the other person's story, that then you would be the one that's quote unquote getting punished or experiencing difficulty. This is just how all of us kind of interact with the world. So there's a time, I mean, like I said, there's times. There's a specific time in my life where I was dealing with massive conflict with somebody and I thought I was gonna get fired. And I, I mean, I knew I was being stupid, but I thought they were being more stupid, you know, which is how we all feel. No, it's that person, I'm doing a great job. They're a clown. Oh, well, no, we both have the clown makeup on. Oh, all right, I feel you. I just didn't realize mine. So talking to Pastor Keith, and uh, I'm like, and here's, here's, how, here's how I operate. You guys know this because you hear me talk, so I'm just going to describe myself for a second. Um, you ever see a train that you're sitting at like a railroad crossing, and it's like, how do they make a train this long? It's unbelievable. It's like this train is like 10 miles long. That's how my train of thoughts work. So when I start talking, it's like, oh man, like he's just like spinning up. He can just keep like riffing on this thing forever. If you ask my wife, that's how I talk to her. I can sit there and look at her and I watch her eyes glaze over. She's about to go to sleep. I'm like, I should probably shut it down right now and lift the gates and let the cars drive through. <laughs> especially, especially when I get in a time where I'm distressed or I deeply passionately care about something, I will just drive the point home and drive the point home and drive the point home and people are like, man, please stop. Please, we got it. That's, that's like, there are conversations to this day I will have with Pastor Keith where he's like, look, I got it. I understand what you're saying. You don't have to keep saying it in a different way. Anyway, <laughs> pray for me, right? So I'm talking to Pastor Keith about this issue, and I'm like, and then this happened, and then this thing, and then this person, and here's what it was five years ago, and here's what it is today, and here's all the stuff I'm doing right, and here's all the stuff that they're doing wrong, and bam, 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 bam. So I'm going down this road, and Pastor Keith just stops me, and uh, he goes, hey, let me ask you a question. I go, okay. <sighs> let me catch my breath. <laughs> he stops me, and he says, um, he says, do you think that I have your best interest in mind? I was like, yes, sir. Um, he goes, okay. He goes, do you think I know what I'm doing? Like, I lead this place. You think I know what I'm doing to make it happen? Uh, well, yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, he says, well, why don't you just trust me to do that? His train of thoughts are, you know, not that long. <laughs> so we go to God, pray these long, ridiculous prayers, all the things that we need, all the stuff we're struggling with. God, I need to convince you to fix this. God, I need to talk you into this. God, please help me. God, fix my spouse. God, do this. God, do that. You know why? Because we don't really believe that God has our best interest in mind. And so then what we do is because we don't believe that God has our best interest in mind, we don't really think he knows what he's doing. God, this is really hurting me. I'm not sure if you're aware, but this is very painful. I feel like I'm being stabbed in the heart and I feel like you're just watching. Or I feel like you're just not even looking at me and I'm dying. I'm literally bleeding out and you're just staring at me on the ground. 
or you're helping somebody else when really you should be helping me or you're helping this person who's attacking me, but really I need you to be for me because I'm under attack right now. We're laughing because that's how we feel. So we need to retake the class. We need to understand for the, maybe the first time in a long time that God is trustworthy. God created you. He's not gonna destroy you. Some of you have the worst theology in the world. Like you think if you go watch a rated R movie, you're gonna go to hell. It's not in the Bible, sorry. Whatever, I'm sure someone can find it in the Bible, make up their own verse, whatever. But God's not talking about that stuff. Some of us have this perspective on God that's like he's a punisher or he's just not paying attention. And God, if I pray enough and if I talk enough, you'll fix this for me. And there are some things that we have to fix for ourselves or some things that God is just bringing us through a process and he's guiding us and he's developing us. And the Bible talks about God like he's a refiner's fire. So the stuff that's painful for you is not the devil. The stuff that's painful is the refining of God. That's what the Bible says. Now here's what my dad said to me that I feel like God says to me too. You might not like it, but you're gonna like the end result. You might not like what you're experiencing right now. You might not like the pain that you're feeling right now. Fine, I get that 100%. But what I need you to understand is that I'm turning you into something that I need you to be. And that something that I need you to be is not something that you are today. And so we get the, and, and, and we get the opportunity to do that. That's, that's what faith is, that's what trusting God is. It's God, I trust in your knowledge. I trust that what you know is gonna lead to a good result in my life. I don't know. There's no way I can, like you hear Clay when you tell the story about miscarriage and all that stuff. It's like, you don't know. Like God, why is this, like, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? Because God, if I know why, then I'll do the right thing. And God's like, I don't need you to know, I just need you to trust, because I know. So biblical faith, biblical faith is trusting two things, that God knows what he's doing, and he did before you showed up, he's gonna know what he's doing after you're gone, and that he also has your best interest in mind. And he does. 100%. I don't know what you heard before you walked in this room. I don't know what you thought before you walked in this room, but this is why epistemology is so important. Because we have got to get to the point where we can really have faith, where we can really trust in God. And the truth that we have to deal with is we don't really trust him. We talk a great game and we say a lot of good stuff about faith and Christianity and you know can quote scriptures up and down, but we don't live those scriptures. When it comes down to it, we're not living that, we just know it. And that's fine, it's fine to like have the possession of knowledge in your mind, but what do you do with what's in your mind? So God says, I want you to trust me with your life, like your whole life. And I want you to know that it's not your plan for your life, it's my plan for your life. So I don't need you to talk me into making your plans happen. As good as you think those are, they're actually kinda, kinda silly, and I don't need you to worry about that because I'm actually trying to do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. So I don't need you to tell me what you're imagining. I need you to just imagine some things and then 10X that, and then 10X that again, and then multiply that by some kind of crazy 
exponent, and then we'll get there. But honestly, you're not capable of doing that kind of math. So what I need you to do is just trust me and trust that I know what I'm doing today. Now that's not, that's not meant to be like adversarial, like we're all, we're all not getting it, but the truth is we all don't get it because we live in a fallen, broken human world. And if we're not careful about how we think about what we know, it ain't what you know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. If we're not careful about what we know, our worldview is messed up and we're a Christian and we're a believer, but we're absolutely broken and we're totally failing because we do not see the world or our own life the way that God wants us to see the world in our own life. So the place that this starts is by giving God your whole life. And maybe you've been in church before. Maybe you've never been in church before. Maybe you just have no God context. Maybe you're some other form of whatever and really you've never given Jesus your life. The faith thing starts with, God, I'm gonna really trust you with my life. That's why Jesus came to the earth. The reason why Jesus came to the earth was to help us understand that he has a plan for our life and he wants us to not place our trust in ourselves, not place our trust in the government, not place our trust in some structure. He wants us to place our trust in him. And Jesus gives us the power and the opportunity to do that because we make him the Lord of our life. And the reason why a biblical worldview is so important because a biblical worldview, more than your belief system of Christianity, a biblical worldview is the proof that you're following Jesus. Because what you're doing is you're developing a perspective on the world that God has. And God wants us, I said this last week, Isaiah chapter 55, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways and God's thoughts higher than our ways and thoughts. God is not trying to come down to where you are, no matter how much you want him to. God is trying to get you up to where he is. God does not need your perspective anymore. You need to embrace God's perspective. God doesn't need you to talk him into anything. God doesn't need you to convince him. God's not, a, God's not a God that we have to negotiate with. He's already decided. We just have to be a part of the program here. And so the place this starts is a place that it always starts. And that's by choosing to give Jesus the, your life. And so I don't know what your context has been. I don't know if you feel far from God. I don't know if you feel like you got saved before and you need to get saved again and all that. But just, just lay it all down and just decide in this moment, hey, I'm gonna give Jesus my life and I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let God take care of the rest. Here's this, here's this one little secret statement. Follow Jesus and he'll teach you everything you need to know. That's it. You've now achieved mature Christianity. So I wonder, what I want you to do in this room is whether you're watching online or in this room, just bow your heads and close your eyes with me because there's some people today, whether it's worship, something I said, some other deal completely, God has just been saying, hey, now is the time for you to trust me and not expect to know about things that you cannot know. Now is the time for you to trust in my knowledge and who I am. Now is the time, maybe the first time in your life for you to believe that God has your best interest in mind. Now is the time, the first time in your life for you to believe that God knows what he's doing. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to pray this prayer and just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. From this day forward, I choose to serve you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, it's that easy. Let's give those people that made that decision a big hand. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of our latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That way, you know when a new episode has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, visit elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.